showed up in the big screen this week. And it's a movie about the life of Jesus. And if you can imagine the first couple of scenes, uh, they show you uh, Jesus in the throes of ministry. Uh, he's preaching the coming of the kingdom of God. He's preaching about uh, the least of these. He's speaking truth to power. He is uh, calling forth the community to share bread and fish, and he's multiplying loaves and fish, and he's doing all the miracles. And, and if you can imagine, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is on the boat on the sea. Y'all have heard the stories in the Gospels where Jesus is on the boat in the sea, right, before the storm. Has, but this is before the storm. If you can imagine this scene for a moment, Jesus is on the deck, and the storm begins to happen, and Jesus slips up and bumps his head and gets amnesia. Can you imagine Jesus with amnesia? What would that look like? Can you imagine the disciples? They're on the boat. The storm's here. And they run down to the deck to check on Jesus because he got a bruise on his head. He probably took a little nap, make sure he had a concussion. And they wake him up, Jesus, we're in the storm. And first he probably says, who? Jesus, you, you're Jesus. I don't remember. You got power to control the creation. You can walk on water. You can calm the storms. You can raise the dead. You can do all these powerful things because you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And I can see Jesus saying, I got nothing, fellas. Can you imagine that? What happens with amnesia? Can you imagine what Jesus may have forgotten? He may have forgotten who he was. And what is that? He may have also forgotten. This is a thought experiment here, so don't, I'm not com committing blasphemy, right? I'm just doing an Einstein. I've been watching Genius, with the whole new series on National Geographic by Einstein. And so can you imagine a thought experiment where Jesus has amnesia? What does he forget he forgets his aspirations. He forgets who he is. He forgets the power uh, that he has and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he may have forgotten the conversations that he had with his father at the mountaintop in the high places or in the places in the valleys of the places of death and struggle and threat. He may have forgot all the times of intimacy and conversation that he had with the father and he's sitting at the bottom of the boat. If you can imagine a little thought experiment, he got nothing. All the dreams that the father has shown him, he would have forgotten. All the times of prayer that he spent before the father in the father's presence, he would have forgotten. Of course, we know that's not what happened. But I want to tell you today that many people in the body of Christ have spiritual amnesia. Which is kind of worse because sometimes we even know what the dreams are. But we don't learn how to cultivate those dreams and tap into those divine and sacred resources that God has given us to make those dreams a reality. This past week, uh, me and Pastor Dustin went down to Orlando, uh, Florida, to the Exponential Conference. It is a conference 
uh, of church planners, church leaders, lay leaders from literally all over the world. And there's like up to 5,000 people that show up to this thing. And it's huge and it's humongous. And it's a time to just, and as my wife said, you were on vacay. And I was like, no, I wasn't vacay. Because uh, she went here last year. And it's a time of inspiration and seeing uh, different ministries and different churches from all over the country, all over the world, see how they're doing kingdom work in different places. And you hear from pastors who are in the underground church in China and some of the struggles that they had to go through. You hear from pastors in uh, Africa, different parts and different countries within Africa, uh, uh, pastors in Latin America, and all, just literally all over the place and all over our country. And you're hearing their stories of the kingdom of God. And so there were two things that, that, that spoke to me from different uh, uh, people that spoke from the stage uh, this past week that really stood out to me. One, don't forget to dream big. Not just as a ministry, but just even on a personal level. Right? And the second thing was, and I have it in my notes here, it is this, because I want to make sure I say it right, the importance of prayer. Now, one of the things that, that really stood out to me in hearing these pastors speak and hearing these stories of the kingdom of God uh, emerged from all over the world, uh, the number one factor that I kept hearing over and over again was prayer. There's powerful moves of God happening in Africa, in China, and when you talk to these men and women of God from all over the, all over the world, the number one thing they would tell you is, the first thing they would tell you is, is not, uh, this is our ministry strategy, this is our uh, our process to turn people from first-time guests into faithful, committed members of our organization. This is not, uh, this is how, the, the thing you got to do, Pastor Anthony, is you got to make sure your logo and your branding is tight, that it's appealing, that it speaks to the deepest desires and the hearts of people, right, to tap into that consumer ethos in our culture. No, the first thing they said was prayer. Getting into the very presence of God. And speaking with God. One of the things, those are two of the things that stood out to me in this conference. And so I want to turn real quick. We're going to talk about uh, prayers that make dreams come true this morning. Is that all right? Tony's already prayed, so we're just going to get right into the text. I'm going to a text that traditionally is never, or I have never seen it used, uh, for prayer, and that's Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Thank God Jesus didn't have amnesia. But imagine, though, if he had amnesia. How do you bring Jesus back? Right, I mean, how do you bring, well, he's already there, but how do you bring Jesus back to his senses? What would you do as a disciple if you was in Jesus' crew? What would you do to bring Jesus back to remember who he was, what he's done, what he's capable of, what the dreams of God were, what his aspirations were, for him to tap into heavenly power through the Holy Spirit? Um, what would you do as a disciple? What's the first thing you would tell Jesus? Pray. Amen. Right? Jesus, go talk to your daddy. 
Because it was your conversation with your daddy that brought you to this place. Amen? Amen. Uh, will we, will uh, you all agree with that? It's Jesus' relationship, close, intimate relationship with the Father that brought Jesus, that opened up the reality of who Jesus is to his own self, right? Because if y'all recall, in the baptismal scenes in one of the Gospels in Mark, in Matthew, or the Synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, when Jesus baptized, the Father speaks from heaven, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So it would only be the Father that can tell him who he is. Let's go here. Let's go to the text. Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. On the day the Lord God made earth and sky, and I'm uh, reading from the Common English Bible, before any wild plants appeared on the earth and before any field crops grew, because the Lord God hadn't yet sent rain on the earth, and there was still no human being to farm and the farm, the fertile land, though a stream rose from the earth and watered all of the fertile land, the Lord God formed the human, formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils. The human came to life. The Lord God planted a garden in, the east, in Eden in the east and, and put the human he had formed there. In the fertile land, the Lord God grew every beautiful tree with edible fruit, and also he grew the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, another translation says God scooped up some dirt, and he breathed, breathed life into this dirt. And what does your translation say? He became a what? A living soul. I thought that was always odd when I read that passage. God takes some dirt. Breathes life into it. Adam. It became a living soul. The thing I noticed before that was, if you can imagine this scene in Sometimes uh, I just picked this up recently in reading this text. Before he does all that, before he scoops up the dirt and God brings, breathes life into this dirt and to become a human being, to become a living soul or to be animated with the life of God, the picture is this fertile place that is literally overgrown. It's growing wild. It's, it's, it needs to be cultivated. It needs to be uh, uh, nurtured. And, and, and so what happens is God has this fertile place, this garden. No, not the garden yet, right? The land is fertile. And he takes this man, well, this dirt, and he breathes life into it so that this human, this being that has been animated by the very breath of God can now cultivate the land that is uncultivated. Take a breath this morning. Feel good to breathe, don't it? Amen. I'm an asthmatic. Any fellow asthmatics here? Amen. We got the asthmatic club. Amen. We love breath. Amen. We love to breathe. Some of y'all, y'all take it for granted. Amen. Here's the thing. 
And he's like, this is an odd place to begin with prayer. God gave him breath. One of the things uh, in the long tradition of Judaism and Christianity, one of the things that we know uh, that the uh, ancient fathers and mothers of the faith, one of the ways that they would describe prayer is the breathing of the soul. Hmm. Right? You just took a breath, right, with your lungs. Amen. It feels good. Right? Can you imagine going the whole day without doing that? Right? Well, you wouldn't go the whole day, right? You would shortly die in you know, a couple minutes, right? You wouldn't last that long. But, but people imagine that they can actually live in the spirit. They can live in their soul without engaging in the prayer or the breathing of the soul, which is prayer. Without a doubt, you don't, think, you don't think that you could go the whole day without taking a breath, right? But many Christians or those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ think that they can live their lives without their souls breathing. In prayer, your soul breathes. We've talked about this before. Even when we praise God, we've talked about this at Mission House. The highest form of praise is hallelujah. And we talked about how in ancient Judaism, the rabbis, they understood the name of God, Yahweh, or uh, Y-H-W-H. Y'all seen that before, right? Or the name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, right? And so when you talk to uh, the rabbis and you read that ancient literature, one of the things they would say was, well, why the strange consonant string together? And it would tell you that when you say Yahweh, the pronunciation of Yahweh is actually the spelling of breath. Not the word breath, but what, how would you spell this? They said Y-H-W-H. So the actual exhalation, inhalation of breath, the way you pronounce that is Y-H-W-H. So every time that a human being breathes, every time you and you exhale out breath, you're actually saying God. Why? Because it was God who gave human beings what? Breath. And breath is life. So even in our, uh, is it okay if I just be candid with y'all? So even when you lazy and disciplined and undisciplined in your spiritual life with God, guess what? Every time you breathe, you say God. Even when you ain't even thinking about God. And we have seasons like that. Amen. We all have dry seasons. Amen. I'd be a liar if I told you, even as a pastor, there's seasons when I don't pray. Just keeping it real with y'all. But I remember, I get up in the morning, and sometimes I need a little help. (laughs) 
But breathing is life, and, and, and prayer is the breathing of the soul. And this is important stuff because when you're talking about the dreams, I love uh, the book of Proverbs 13, 19. It says, it is pleasant to see dreams come true, but fools refuse to turn from evil to attain them. The thing I love later on, after God breathes life into Adam, Adam wakens up, he wakes up, he comes to life, he's conscious, and then the next thing that God does is what? He begins to tell him why he made him. (laughs) Which made me think, what does God, what did God breathe into Adam? What did God breathe into Adam other than just biology, other than just to be able to get up physically, biologically, to get up from the pile of the dirt that he was around and to start walking and seeing and feeling things? What else did God breathe into Adam? Because the thing that's interesting is if you read the text, it's almost like paradoxical. It says that God breathed into his nostrils, a physical thing, right? It, you know, it's like his nostrils, right? He didn't give this kind of, you know, this kind of, he didn't say he, he spoke into his mind or he spoke to his intellect. He said he breathed into his nostrils and to his nose and he became a living soul. He didn't say he just became a living body. But he became a soul. What is the soul? It is that, that, that invisible part of us where, uh, where we think and where we feel and uh, where our aspirations and dreams emerge from. It is a place, it is the seat of the emotions and the will and the intentions of the heart. So I can see God having Adam laid out there uh, in that dirt and, and God begins to breathe into Adam. And I can imagine what God has breathed, because God has dreams, right? God has intentions. His dream is to see a world that is cared for, that is cultivated. And so what does he do? He breathes into Adam his very dreams, his very intention, and the, the capability and the possibility to make those things happen in the world. What does God breathe into you? What has the Spirit of God breathed into you? You woke up this morning, right? You got breath. God gave you breath for a reason. And I love what God does, right? So he breathes into him. God pours into him. He breathes him not only the capacity to know right and wrong, to to live, uh, to reflect the very image and character of God, because that's part of it, right? God breathes into us. God sends the Holy Spirit into our lives to come into conformity into the image of Jesus or Christ, right? But he also poured into us aspirations and dreams and intentions for us to live out in this world. Take a breath. Isn't that good? Why? What did God breathe into you? And I love what God does. So he breathes into him. He awakens. And then God begins to tell him what he's supposed to do. Now, King James says to exercise dominion over the earth. 
Right? You know, of course, King James would say that, right, because that's what they were all about back then, taking dominion over the earth. We won't get too deep into that this morning. Amen. We say that for another day. But in the Hebrew, it literally is that of a gardener cultivating the world, right? You don't get an image, right, you, you know, because when you say dominion, right, because churches have ran with that, you know, we're going to take the city for Jesus. We're going to dominate the world. We're going to take over some stuff. But that's not what the imagery there is, right? The imagery is not somebody with an army coming in dominating, right? He's not like the Borg in Star Trek coming to assimilate and take over civilizations or something like that. No, the imagery there is of a gardener sitting in his garden cultivating the land, making sure the soil is good, planting seeds and taking care of plants and getting rid of weeds and overgrowth. So God begins to speak his dreams to Adam. I can imagine God saying, this is the world that I want to see. A world that's cultivated. So I'm going to stick you over here in a prototype in the garden. Because you know, if you notice the passage, the, gar- the world will start out as a garden. It starts out as a very fertile place. It's just overgrown. It needs to be cultivated. But then it says after he made Adam, then he created a garden after he made Adam. Catch the sequence? Then he puts Adam in the garden. Dreams. What are dreams? The dreams of God, that is. The dreams of God is God giving you a remembrance. He's giving you memory. He's trying to remind you of why he gave you breath in the first place. In the first place. Breath in the first place. And so God breathes life into Adam and then he makes Eve. This is the storyline. Amen. And like we said before, Mission House, um, well, I don't even want to get into all that. Let's follow the story. Whether you believe it's a little allegorical, metaphor, whatever, it still is a powerful story. He breathes life, and then God begins to speak the dreams of God. God begins to speak about purpose. And God begins to say, man, this is why I formed you from the dust of the earth. This is why I breathe life into your very being to become a person, a being that's here to cultivate the world. And so my thing is this. So you breathing, right? Amen. You breathing. What are your dreams? And if your dreams are birthed from the soul, from the spirit of who you are, the very center of your being, guess what? You can't live those out without what? Breathing in the soul. 
If dreams emerge from the soul, if dreams emerge from the very center of our being, our spirit, right? If they, if they emerge from there to, to be lived out into the world, right? Just like today, y'all can't live the rest of the day without what? Breathing. So here's the thing. You got people in the body of Christ thinking that they have dreams in their mind. They have dreams in their head and they stay in their head and they stay in their, in their heart. Why? Because they ain't soul breathing. What you saying, Pastor? You because I ain't praying? My dreams ain't coming true? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if your soul don't breathe, the dreams of God won't come true. Because there's a difference. <laughs> and so... But here's the thing, though. So what is prayer? Now, here's when I will have to problematize prayer for you this morning. Here is when I want to be like Socrates and deconstruct and burn some barbecue uh, this morning. Because there's different modes of prayer. There's different, I said there's an evolution of prayer in the life of the believer. One of the things that I have, I have always respected and deeply appreciated was my Muslim brothers and sisters. Right? They pray to Mecca five times a day. The more devout Muslims, right? They pray to the East. They say the Shahada. Right? That's the Muslim prayer. And so... Um, I was like, man, and I'm, I used to work at a manufacturing plant, electronic manufacturing plant in, in Charlotte many, many moons ago. And I remember we'd be on lunch break and all my, it was like a lot of Muslims from India, from Malaysia, from, um, um, from the Middle East. And they were working in this plant with me. And at lunch break, they'd be all gone. I'd be like, where do they go? They go to McDonald's? Or, no, they'd be all in the, in the, in the break room. Seeing the Arabic and on their carpet, their mats on the floor in the lunchroom floor, praying to Mecca. I'd be like, dang. And the Christians be over there eating chicken and macaroni and cheese and collard greens. <laughs> you want the dreams of God to manifest in your life and you got to breathe on the inside. Literally, you're going to have to become a soldier of prayer. You're going to have to become a prayer warrior. And I hear people say, well, you know, pastor, certain people are gifted in grace for that. Right? No, we're all called to pray to God. Like, there ain't no special grace for that. Everybody in this room, especially those who call to follow Jesus, this is a non-negotiable. Like, you literally have to learn how to pray. And you'd be amazed how many people go to church and they're not taught how to pray. In Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, there was a scene where the disciples saw Jesus moving in power and they saw the, the apostles, uh, the followers of John the Baptist moving and doing work with John the Baptist. And they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, whatever you're doing, you're living out the dreams of God. I'm doing my, it's an Anthony Smith translation. <laughs> Teach us how to pray. Like you do. Notice he didn't, they don't ask him, well, teach us how to do the things that you do. This is in the Gospel of Luke. 
if you want to chap the reference there, because this is going to be some of your homework this week. <laughs> yeah, homework. Uh, in Luke 11, 1 through 4. He didn't say, he, the, the apostles didn't ask him, Lord, you know, Jesus, Lord, teach us how to perform miracles. Teach us how to move powerfully in the Holy Ghost. Teach us how to speak in tongues. Teach us how to speak truth to power. Teach us how to organize and mobilize people to start a revolution to turn this thing upside down. Teach us how to do the things that you do, how to walk on water and control weather. Jesus teaches us. No, they said, teach us how to pray. And it's amazing. I meet so many Christians who have not been taught how to pray because you've been taught because you live in America. You've been taught that prayer is carte blanche, right? I can pray all kinds of, you can't tell me how to pray. Okay, American. Can you imagine the disciples telling Jesus that? Can you imagine that scene? Disciples come up to Jesus. Well, Jesus, man, we was going to ask you to teach us how to pray, but we're going to pray how the way we want to pray. Because you can't teach us how we, we just pray. You know, nobody know my prayer. You don't know my relationship with the Father. That's how we get it, right? But here it is in the red. There is a way to pray. <laughs> Just like Jesus taught you to love your enemies and love your neighbors as you love yourself. He teaches the disciples how to pray. There is a way. I'm telling you, disciples of Jesus, there is a way in how to pray. You're going to have to learn. Some of you are deep into prayer already. You, you've been experienced. You've, been, you've advanced in prayer. Yes, you can advance in prayer. Because here's the thing about prayer. You do advance in prayer just like you advance in holiness and in conforming to the, to the image of Christ. You can grow in prayer like you grow in love. It's okay if I give y'all some benchmarks. Right, let you know where you're at. All right, these things, like, so when we start with step one, that don't mean you're a bad person or anything. You know, I don't want to make you feel shamed or condemned or anything. But a lot of people in church are in step one. And here's, here's the first step, the first stage of prayer. You talk at God. What does that mean? God is great. God is good. We thank you for our daily food. You refer to God in, a th in sort of the third person, right? This, this is not a bad thing. This is good because you're acknowledging the existence of God, right? This is a good thing. This is not a bad thing, right? But the thing is, if you've been in church for years and you're still talk referring to God in the third person, we need an intervention. <laughs> now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord for my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. We talk at God. And this usually with children, right? And that's cool, right? I mean, that's all right. I mean, this is not a bad thing. But I'm going to let you know that this is like a first stages of prayer. Right? There's the existence of God. There's the acknowledgement that God is real. This is good. Then the second one is, second stage, is you talk to God. Right? 
you see this kind of in the Lord's Prayer, right? This is, uh, y'all know the Lord's Prayer? This is actually our homework for this week. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and also Luke 11. If you could, Luke, Matthew, write these down. Matthew 6, verse 7 through 13, and Luke 11, 1 through 4. This is the different forms of the Lord's Prayer. So you decide between those two which one you are going to memorize this week, because you're going to memorize it this week. Amen? All right, yeah, come on. Yeah, that was good, Pastor. Yeah. So this is an instance of talking to God. Our Father, who art in heaven, this is the King James Version, right? I love that, how art. And this is true. God does art in heaven, right? He creates beautiful things, right? Amen. He art in heaven. I love that. Man, somebody write that down. Art in heaven. Love that. Something with that. We've got to work that out some kind of way. Amen. Some kind of artistic gallery in the back. Art in heaven. Amen. I love that. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is talking to God. This is the stage, right? What does this mean? That means that you have some kind of connection with God, that you recognize that God is present and that God is a being, a reality, a person that you can actually talk to, right? And you have a connection with God where God is real to you. Like Paul says, our spirit signifying or testifying that we are children of God because of the spirit of God that's in us. And so the believer, the follower of Jesus, at some point in your journey, you come to a consciousness, you come to an awareness that, you're, that God is in your life. You've moved past and saying, yes, I believe in God. I believe in a higher power. That's great. But do you know God? See, that's different. Right? You can believe in the concept, the idea, that, or what humans do. They create ideologies around God or what they think God is or who Jesus is, right? But here's the thing, though. So, so it's one thing to believe in God in the sense of I had this idea of God in my head, and it seems quite reasonable to believe when you look outside the teleological argument, as they say, the argument of design. When you look outside, the beautiful canvas in the world. Obviously, somebody made all that beautiful stuff out there, the Grand Canyon, the earth, the moon, the, the black holes, the, the whatever. Somebody made it. But we move from that to saying, I know the one who made it. So you begin to talk to God. Where we at? That was stage two, right? Okay. Right, y'all got to help me out here. I got, got, I got ADD a little bit, so y'all got to help me out here. Stage three, you listen to God. <laughs> I know, a scary thought, right? You, you would talk to God, and lo and behold, God may actually talk back. <laughs> I remember when I was an atheist, I used, to look, I, was, I used to laugh at Christians. And I'm like, so you're talking to an imaginary being that you can't see, and you're waiting for this being to talk back to you. When I was a kid, I used to joke with my, my, my Christian friends, because I was one of them atheists that would try to get at Christians to drag them out of their faith, right, to, to stumble them over their faith. And when I say, oh, say, when I was a kid, we called those imaginary friends. Because, you know, you see the kids, you know, the kid in there playing uh, house, 
the little girl in her, in her room playing house, and she's cooking dinner, and she's talking to invisible family members, and they're talking back, and they're having this conversation. That's how I used to look at Christians who believe that God would talk back to them. And I remember the first time God talked back to me, and I realized I could no longer be an atheist. But I love atheists. I love my atheist brothers and sisters because you know why? They are a gift to the world because they keep Christians honest. I won't get too deep into that. Right? But God talks back. And you see this with Jesus, right? Jesus does not deal with the Father as if he's just some idea in his head that he just simply believes, that he conceptualizes, that he, has, that he gives intellectual and mental assent to, that something that's hanging around in his mind. But God is the Father that he relates to as in the most intimate of terms. God, Jesus calls God, refers to God as Father, but in, in, the, in the Gospels he calls him Abba. So not only is God... You're listening for God, stage two, but stage three is God is talking back. So now you have an intimate relationship. You know God. And many of you are there. You talk to God and God speaks back. And sometimes not in no audible human voice. I mean, that could happen, I'm sure. Right, that's happened to me before. You know, I don't want to sound weird right now because I am Pentecostal, so Pentecostals often sound weird to people, but... This is keeping it real, right? Amen. But, but God speaks to us in impressions, images, open visions, songs, poetry, art. You was driving in your car one day or you was walking around one day and you were thinking about your bills or you're thinking about some issue in your life and out of nowhere, some thought comes out of middle of nowhere referring to something beautiful and transcendent and, and heavenly and magisterial. And what that is is God trying to speak to you. God trying to tap in to talk to you. Or conviction. Well, you know you're about to do wrong. And you know, to use the, the metaphors of the, the angel and the devil on your shoulders, the devil's like, the little devil's like dragging you this way, the flesh, as Paul calls it. And then there's something in you that says, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. <laughs> Some of that is your conscience that's been shaped and molded by God because you've been in this journey with Jesus. But the other part of that is the Holy Spirit saying, uh-uh. I wish Paul would have said that, you know. In the, this, is the, this is what you know you're doing the works of the flesh. And that part of you says, uh-uh. But some of us, you know, we kind of like, okay, well, I'm still going to do it anyway. <laughs> but this is why prayer is important. I'm about to get into this. I'm about to get into a little litany here. So let me just cut to the straight. In prayer, mm, there's a saying in, in our, for my Catholic brothers and sisters that has been bequeathed to our more Anglican Episcopalian brothers in the high church tradition. 
when I don't even, I ain't gonna even try to say the Latin to y'all right now. But basically, they say prayer is life. You pray. And we'll talk about some prayer for, for everybody here. We're going to give you some, some homework here. We're going to give you some templates, some, some, some toolkits today as I close out today about prayer. See, when you pray, because we live in American culture, we tend to think of prayer through the lens of acquisition. What do I mean by that? Yeah, we just told, we get told to pray. And depending on what church tradition you're from, you think that's what all prayer is about, getting stuff from the sky daddy. Right? We treat prayer oftentimes in our culture because we're an American society. We're, live, we're profoundly shaped and socialized to be consumers, to be the highest form of life is to acquire things, to be a consumer, to buy stuff, right? And so don't think that the church is immune from being shaped by that same culture. And so that's why you got theologies and preaching in the church that treat God like a genie in the lamp. All you got to say is the magic words and rub the lamp and poof, God comes out. I get your three wishes, right? See, prayer in Scripture is way deeper than that. Prayer in Scripture is more than just you asking God for some stuff. Now, there's some moments when you are in desperation. There's some moments when you do need God to come through. I'm not saying you don't do that. Jesus did that, right? When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before they come and arrested him and they exercised police brutality upon him, before they did that, what they did, what Jesus did was, he says, man, the Bible says he was even crying blood. He was in such deep anguish. And he asked God, God, can we go to plan B? Can we do this another way? Can we let this cup pass? Of course, and fortunately for us, unfortunately for Jesus in that moment, the father obviously said, well, no, we're going to go with plan A. But Jesus did ask for something. But prayer is deeper than that. What is prayer? Prayer is, yes, communication with God. So we're at three, right, where you are talking, uh, where you're listening to God. But here's the third point or the fourth stage. See, I told you I got to keep me on track here. The fourth stage is what? Being with God. You ever been in a relationship with someone, whether it's marriage or just friendship with someone? I thought about this, and I was thinking through my prayer this week when me and Dustin were hanging out. And there was a point me and Dustin, because me and Dustin is my best friend, right? And so we were hanging out, and there was a moment where we weren't even talking to each other, like this, this one scene where we're at. And I thought to myself, like, we're at the friendship level now where we didn't got to say words to each other, Right? Like, we ain't always got to be in constant communication with each other. We just enjoy each other's presence. See, all prayer is not you talking to God and God talking to you. Sometimes uh, in this fourth stage, in, this, in what I would call it a more formal, a mature form of prayer, is when you have a relationship with God so that you know that you are walking with God, that God is present with you wherever you go, and that God is with you. You ain't got to exchange no words. 
You just know God is with you. And you are with God. I call that being, being with God. And all of us, we go from this. This is not a set thing. You can go backwards, you know. I ain't going to say flunk. But just like you can stop breathing in the natural for a few minutes, you can stop breathing in your soul for years. There are people like that. And it's not to judge them or feel shame, whatever reason. Sometimes people are mad at God. And that's okay, too. Israel got mad at God. Job's wife got mad at God. People demonized her. I think she was, I think she was on point. Right? You know, I mean, if I saw my wife losing everything, get hit with a sickness out of nowhere, and especially if I was a fly on the wall in a conversation that God had with Job and the devil, I'd have been mad too. I don't want to go too deep into that. The Bible has this practice, and you see it with Israel. It's called the righteous complaint. And people, you people jump in, you can't complain at God. I say, you better read your Bible. The prophets did it all the time. How long ago, God, will you sit silent? How long, God, will you allow us to go through oppression and, and burdens and desperation? How long, God, will you wait and sit in heaven and do nothing? That's from the prophets. How long, God, will I feel this pain in my heart from separation and loss? How long, God, will I feel the trauma and pain of being hurt and stepped on and abused by other people? How long, God? See, people judge people like that. But my thing is, see, they didn't judge God. They complain against God. I'm like, yo, but they praying to God. He can take it. I, tell, I, tell, I got to remind Christians of that, right? God has no insecurities, <laughs> right? Jesus, I talked to a sister recently, right? And they were talking about how people treat the church and Christianity. I'm like, I'm like Jesus is going to be okay. He's going to be all right. They can't do nothing to Jesus. He's raising the dead. They had their chance. <laughs> and so... Being with God. Here's the thing about prayer. This is when we get into the deepness and, and, and the transcendence and the beauty of prayer. See, here's the thing about prayer, and I'm just going to tell you this. See, I'm going to take you, shift you out of a supplication mode where we think prayer in a register of asking God for something. But see, the, the deeper meaning of prayer is this. When you begin a life of disciplined prayer, however that looks for you, Right? People always tell me, so pastors, I pray a half hour or hour or, you know, how long should I pray? I'm like, pray consistently. <laughs> Whatever that looks like. If it's just for three, three minutes and 33 seconds a day, let it be consistent three minutes and 33 seconds a day. Just be consistent with it. Right? Some of you have spouses or some of you have significant others or, or friends that you talk with on a regular basis. Can you imagine going a whole month without talking to them? Well, some of you probably could, you know, like I need a break from them, right? Uh, 
But that's how we treat God sometimes. But here's the deeper meaning of prayer. See, when you pray consistently and in a disciplined manner with the awareness that God is present with you, whether with the Bible, using the Bible to pray, or prefixed prayers that are written out already, and that's fine too. Whatever you got to do to recognize and be aware of God's presence and begin to address God, what begins to happen is what? You actually become the prayers that you pray. You become the answer to your own prayers. Now you're thinking, well, that's crazy because suppose I say, so you said, okay, pastor, you said that, uh, you know, if I want Twinkies forever, right, or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I had a, I had a friend of mine who's, who's kind of on the edges of faith. He's not committed to Christ, but he grew up in church. I never forget, he told me this story. He was this kind of like his apologetic against Christianity, whatever. It was interesting discussion. But uh, he was like, Pastor, you know, he said, here's my thing. Jesus said, pray whatever, you ha- pray whatever you want in my name. Oh, he says, pray, this is the way he worded it. Pray whatever you desire in my name, and I'll give it to you. The Father will give it to you. Well, one time, Pastor, I, I, I committed a crime, and they put me in jail, and I was sitting in jail, and I asked God to free me from jail. And guess what happened? Nothing. I was in jail for a couple months. I'm like, okay, that's not how it works, brother. See, you think prayer is just you getting what you want. See, that's the American side of us. Prayer is you tapping into eternity and God is breathing his intention. God is breathing his desires into you. That's what happens in prayer. Prayer is opening up space in our hearts for God to breathe into us and speak life and intention and dreams into our hearts. And so when you pray, guess what? Over time, you become the very thing that God has breathed into you. That's why I tell people in the kingdom of God, we don't achieve our dreams. We surrender to our dreams. Through our prayers, our dreams become animated. Prayer is animated by the dreams of God. Prayer gives us dreams, and prayer gives us the ability and the capacity for movement in our lives. Prayer moves us from talking about our dreams to living into the dreams of God. In prayer, the dream of God is to become the very thing that God desires and intends for our life. So prayer becomes our life. Our life becomes our prayer because of what we're praying. And what we're praying is coming from God. Now you see why we got to get taught how to pray. You just can't pray any prayer. Popular prayer, some over a couple of decades ago, was prayer Jabez. And man, you gotta love America, man. You know, like we'll turn everything into a commodity. I think they had the prayer Jabez action figures at some point. Prayer Jabez. Children's version, prayer job is journals, prayer job is movie, prayer job is, I mean, everything, right? And the thing that was funny is it took the prayer job is out of context. 
right? The prayer of Jabez, we, we, we use it to say, expand my scope of influence. Make me have more. You know, you know how we, we preached that, right? It was preached for a little while. It still is, actually. It still got life. And so, you know, bigger houses, bigger cars, God, so I can live the dreams of God. And it's like, yeah, that's more like the American dream. All of life is prayer, and prayer is life. In prayer, we give space for God to breathe life into our dreams that God has given us. One of my favorite theologians, Jurgen Moltmann, says this. When we pray, we are not looking for the fulfillment of our own wishes. We are looking for the reality of God. And are breaking out of the hall of mirrors of our own wishes and illusions and fears in which we are imprisoned. We wake up out of the numbness and deafness of our feelings. We burst apart the armor of apathy that holds us fast. Prayer sobers us. It wakes us up. It causes us to withdraw out of our drunkenness and our illusions. Prayer is a link to those dreams buried deep into our souls. What do you mean, Pastor? I don't get what I want. Here's the thing. What you want may have been given to you by corporations. I'm talking about God giving you what you were made for. <laughs> Prayer cultivates this, this practice. I love this quote from Pope John Paul. It's not actually a quote. It's a phrase that Pope John Paul II, the Pope before, the Pope before, yeah. And so he would say, totus to us, which means totally yours in Latin. And so in prayer, we are becoming a people where our confession becomes where with our words, with our minds, with our intellect, and every aspect of our being, our heart, our soul, our minds, and even our bodies. When we say with one chorus, our life becomes a, all the symphony of who you are becomes can say, God, I'm totally yours. God, do with me what you will. This is God. So we become our prayers. We become our prayers. Y'all ready for some tools? So imagine you like, you know, Jesus in the boat, got amnesia, and you can't remember who you are, or you may know who you are, but your soul has not been breathing. Some of you have been in seasons where your soul was breathing, and you had a good pace. Your oxygen, your spiritual oxygen level was high. For asthmatics, y'all, asthmatics know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all know, if y'all work in the medical field, right, you have a certain percentage of oxygen that's getting to the brain, right? They put a little thing on your finger, and, you know, I go in there, I'm like at 80, 85, 90, which is not good. But what happens is when we don't breathe, 
in our spirit through prayer, our oxygen levels are going down spiritually, which means what? We're less able to be more attentive. That's the other, that's the other aspect about prayer. Prayer helps you pay attention to what God has said, to help you remember what God has said. So here's something for those of you who are new to prayer or you need to, uh, you need an intervention and you got to go back. What do they call it? Uh, remedial, right? You got need some remediation, right? You got to go back and that's fine. Like I got to go back to this stuff, right? And so here's the thing. So when I was a young Christian, uh, when I first came to faith, there was something they taught me. It was real simple. Some of y'all know this already. Some of y'all may not. This is going to help you a little bit. I'm going to say this. I'm going to share these things. We're going to pray. We're going to be done. And uh, Y'all know where I'm going already? Y'all seen this before? Right? This is a basic template for prayer. You see this in the Lord's Prayer. Adoration. Right? This is when you give praise and honor to God. Right? As, you, as you're walking into prayer and you're going through the different stages of prayer, it's important that the first thing you do in prayer as you're walking into this is to acknowledge God. Right? One of the ways you know you're dealing with someone possibly that has not advanced in prayer is when they straight out the gates are asking God for stuff. Like kids, right? You know, eat, eat, Rami, Bobby, I want to eat. Right? You skip that part. <laughs> so what's adoration? Adoration is about worshiping God. It's saying who God is and the very being and character of God. It's acknowledging who God is. Why? What does this do? And see, people don't understand the importance of adoration and prayer. Why? Because what? When you, when you center God in your prayer, when you make God the priority, guess what? That gets you out the way. See, that's a lot of what prayer is, getting your, your ego, your flesh out of the way. Then next is confession, right? See how God is? God is so wise. Confess your failure, your brokenness, your sin. I love this. So you start out with adoration. God, you're holy. God, you're blessed. God, you're awesome. You're great. You are loving. You are merciful. God, you are holy. You are all of that, God, but God, forgive me. This is how I've been today. This is how I failed. This is how I tripped up. This is how I mistreated somebody. This is how I verbally abused somebody. This is how I tried to control somebody. This is how I tried to stump on people and try to make them feel bad. And God, this is how I've mistreated. I've committed immorality. I have sinned against you, God. And I've sinned against my brothers and sisters. I've been complicit in evil and oppression. Confession. See, at this point, you shouldn't be thinking, I'm all that. <laughs> right? You recognize God, and you share God with your humanity. 
Next is Thanksgiving. Ooh, I spelled that wrong. Jesus. Yeah, it's too far away from November, that's why. See, that's what's up. You thank God for all things, however that looks. You might have been blessed that day. God, thank you for that raise. God, thank you for food. Amen. God, thank you for oxygen. God, thank you for my family. Thank you for people that love me. God, I thank you for my friends who are faithful and they're with me in the journey. Even when I act out of character, God, they are faithful with me. They hold me accountable. God, I thank you for all your blessings. Why is that powerful? Because why? Because in this culture, you're told that you are the source of everything that you have. You are a rugged individual. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's what we're told in this culture. But Thanksgiving reminds you that the source of blessing is not your activity. It's not your genius and your, your cunningness or your wiseness or whatever it is. But that it comes from God. All blessings come from God. Again, prayer, Thanksgiving, gets you out the way. Then, once you go through adoration and confession and thanksgiving, once you went through that process of checking your ego and checking your flesh and remembering who God is and talking with God or talking to God or being with God or some of us talking at God, whatever that is, you get down to this, supplication. Now you ask God for something. He's like, finally, Pastor, we get to ask God for something. That's great. <laughs> but once you get to this point, you'll be like Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, what does Jesus say? He says, you know, our Father, art in heaven, I love that. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Because all this is supplication. He asks for the kingdom to come. Well, that's not for self, obviously. Right? When people do make it that way. Right. Make the kingdom come. That means kingdom coming as a new car pulled him in the drive line. No, he means something way much bigger than that. What he's saying is the way the world should be, the world that you intend, oppression free and free of domination and uh, where people are experiencing their truest self. Make that world come. Make that a reality in my life, in my city, in my community, in the world, amongst my church members, amongst my family. May your world come, God, in our midst. May it show up, even if it's just for a moment, let us get a glimpse of it, God. That kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, it's a prayer. He don't pray for getting taken up out of here. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. God, give us what we need. Now, I'm not saying we got to live... As paupers, like most of the planet does, mostly not by choice, actually. Um, that's another whole conversation as well. But what God is saying is, pray for what you need. But see, here's the thing. You won't know what you need from God unless you know God. That's another reason why you should have a life of prayer. So that you'll know what you need in whatever season that you're in. Because sometimes people want things in seasons that God is not going to give you. We pray and ask God for things that God is not going to give us. At least not in that particular season. 
That's why you pray, because what does prayer do? I quoted a, a, a prayer from Frederick Douglass on my Facebook page this morning when it says that, you know, Frederick Douglass said, I prayed for 20 years and got no answer, but finally got my answer when I decided to run away from freedom. I'm actually giving my own translation to it. He said, I prayed for 20 years for freedom, got no answer. Then I decided to pray with my legs. That's what he said. Amen. I know. But see, what people miss is they'll say, you know, the critics of prayer, they'll say, see, pastor, like we get crazy. We're part of night crawlers, the prayer and presence ministry, uh, prayer and presence ministry in our community. Uh, led by uh, 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 Pastor Tim Bates, and it's, it's a, it's a uh, various churches participate in it. We walk the community, we pray, we pray for people, we worship, we sing, and we talk to young people and the elders in the community, point people to resources in the community, so just being present in the community. And we have people that, they, they laugh at that, they ostracize that, they, they, they mock that, they, make, they belittle it. Man, see, all y'all doing is praying. Right? So I can see people reading that Frederick Douglass quote, see, see, pastor, see, all y'all do is pray. But see, here's the thing. Can you imagine living in a heart of slavery? Everybody didn't have the courage to run. I guarantee you that in them 20 years Frederick Douglass was praying, guess what God was doing? Pouring courage into his being, into his soul. Giving him spine and nerve enough to say, you know what? I am running off this plantation. That's the part we miss. You know, if you're carnal, you're going to miss that kind of stuff, right? You're in the flesh. So ask God for what you need. Ask God for what you need. Ask God. For what you need. See, here's the thing. See, God, mm, here's the other side of prayer, and I hope you find encouragement in this. Uh, see, here's the thing about God. God, know, and Jesus says this in Luke, and uh, he says, God knows what you need before you even ask for it. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to understand. God knows how you feel right now. God knows how you feel right now. God sees and understands what you are experiencing right now in this moment of season of your life. Matter of fact, God has seen it all. God has seen all of humanity, all down through humanity's history. Every human being, God has seen it all. God has felt it all. God has felt the, the depression. God has felt the despair. God has felt the hopelessness. God has felt the joy. God has felt the happy. But God has also felt those moments when you felt destitute of purpose and hope and aspiration. When you're like, I got dreams, but they still like they ain't coming. God feels all of that. But I can hear God say this to you. Guess what? Here's the best part. I can hear God say, come and sup with me. Come be with me. Come talk to me. 
Because I pour dreams into you that I'm trying to pull back out of you, but you ain't spending time with me. Your soul isn't breathing. You have stopped breathing in your soul. You stopped talking to me. You, start, you ain't even talking at me. Come sup with me. Come eat and fellowship with me. Because I've seen it all, God says. I've seen it all. And here's the best part. Every day you wake up, I sit there waiting for you to say, Father. This is the best part. Every morning when you wake up or when you wake up from sleep, I can hear God saying he's waiting. He's sitting there and God is waiting inside and outside and all around us. God is waiting for you to say, Father. God said, this is the best part of my day. Waiting for you to address me. Waiting for you to invoke my presence. This is the best part of the day. I smile when you say, Father, when you wake up. It brings great joy, eternity. Can you imagine how God smiles? How that radiates throughout the universe? Hmm. I don't know. It's too big to even conceptualize. But I, I imagine it's pretty awesome. God says this is the best part of the day. If all you just say is, Father, I love you. Father, I thank you. Father, be with me today. If that's all you got, if that's all you can muster, then that's all you say. Then that's okay, because guess what? God is still with you. God is still present with you. And if all you got is this, Father, and that's it, say it. Every morning when you get up, you just say, Father. And I guarantee you, all the emotions, all the memories, all the trauma that's behind you saying that, guess what? God knows it all. God feels it all. Y'all going to pray with me this week? Wherever you are, however that looks, here's a good model for you to start with. Uh, remember the Lord's Prayer this week and begin to, if those of you are more inclined to, begin to journal your prayers, what your experience is. Closing out here. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we lift up your name. God, you are most holy. God, you are all good. God, you are with us. God, we confess, God, that we've just been talking at you. God, we confess that some of us, and even my own self, God, there's been seasons we've not even addressed you, not even acknowledging you with the very breath that you've given us. God, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who you said, oh God, would lead us and guide us into all truth that would be our teacher. 
that would give us the capacity, God, to live the life that you call us to, a life of holiness and faithfulness and justice and mercy. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for faithful friends. God, we even thank you for our enemies that keep us honest, oh God, that keep us on our toes. God, we thank you, oh God, for the opportunity to even love our enemies and our friends and our neighbors. God, we thank you for the opportunity, oh God, to love our community. God, I thank you for this church, God. I thank you for Mission House and all the friends of Mission House. God, I thank you for their faithfulness down to these last couple of years, God, these last two years of ministry, oh God, that we've been doing the work of mobilizing this army of love. God, I thank you, God, for the resources that you've given this community, oh God, whether it's the ability to provide space for our youth to realize their gifts in their own dreams, God, whether it is to worship together, oh God, whether it is to convene the community to make this a better community, oh God. God, we thank you, oh God, for the resources, God. We thank you for this space, God. God, we thank you for all the things that you've given us, God, to be faithful to the dreams that you've called us to as a church. God, we thank you for these things. I thank you for every brother and sister in here. They are gifts to the body of Christ. God, you've given them dreams. Some are stuck, but even stuck can be a gift. Stuck can make you aware where you fell off the track. Stuck can make you realize and make you realize the importance of being attentive to the God of who we worship and serve. God, we thank you for stuck. We thank you for obstacles. Because in those things, God, you are making us a more merciful and compassionate and more aware and attentive people. And God, we just ask. We ask for blessing upon your people. We ask for daily bread. We ask for the energy to keep moving and to pray, to pray and to watch, to watch and to pray. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is saying and doing in, this, in our lives and in the world around us. God, we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.